0: Jamie Watson is out. Matthew Collar is in. Dave Harrigan with questions of significant importance. Wow. Collar just
1: jumping into questions. I hope you're ready for the fire I'm about to throw at the two well, of you guys well, now. There
2: is uh, an important announcement that I do have to make about what happened with GoldenEye earlier
1: today. Oh, by well, the way. I mean, why, why would we wait on that? I think we hit the breaking news sounder and get to it. So...
2: I don't know how much uh, you guys were able to break down the film, Dave. I mean, you watched it live. I don't know if you've reviewed the whole tape of me beating Courtney at GoldenEye. 15 kills to 5. Yes. A much better performance for Courtney. And a discovery was made along the way, especially after she was done and I played around a little more. She had a point about the controller. That one of the controllers Uh is better than the other controller. It had a little bit of stickiness to it. And so your guy might be turning a little more to the right than you want because it kind of stuck. So I used the bad controller this time (laughs) and I still won 15 to 5. So it wasn't that much of a hindrance. But of all her excuses for losing to me 22 to nothing the first time, that one probably had some validity.
1: Upon learning that it was a 15-5 to 5 score this time versus a 22-0 a couple days ago, I, I decided, at least in my head, that her excuses probably all had some validity. I buy the 19-inch screen. I mm-hmm. buy the the, mm-hmm. the cherry-picking, obviously. If she doesn't play that way and you say that's fair play, that's fine. But regardless, especially now that we've discovered you had the sticky controller and you still dusted her 15-5, yeah. to 5, I mean... Sorry Courtney but you got a lot of work to do. She's still
0: things. the Jets, right? What what it what it says? Oh,
1: she's the Browns.
2: What it says is that she probably at first looked like the Browns but was maybe a little more like I don't know Arizona or something last year where you know they weren't really ever a contender but they were probably more competitive than they looked.
1: She's the 49ers before Garoppolo. Yeah, right. They were yeah, in yeah, every yeah. game. It was one score games. They just couldn't get over the hump. That's a That's a
2: good comparison. Thank you. She was in the game this time, though losing, but at least hanging around and giving a much better effort and getting a a couple of kills each time, as opposed to the last time where she was just spinning in circles and running into (laughs) walls, which may have had to do with some of the factors that she laid out. So while I still feel that those are excuses, and that's unacceptable for a football reporter to have excuses— Uh, She was right about the controller. It did make it a little harder for me to blow up her face.
1: All right, question number one goes back to a mock draft we had earlier in the show, Uh, Matthew, while you were blowing up faces. I want a mock. From Jason McIntyre, big lead. He had the Minnesota Vikings at 30, grabbing an edge rusher. Not a defensive end, not a defensive tackle, but edge rusher. And Judd was rather surprised that we have found a mock that did not have an interior lineman. I well, it was the second one yeah.
0: in, in a day in a row that you've done a mock that I think had an edge rusher or a defensive lineman.
1: Yes, and That's you're, what it was. you're very much surprised it that, pound of flesh. that mockers are not uh, leaning towards the uh, the offensive line of being the issue to address in round one. So, Judd and uh, I will uh, simply ask why you feel it's most important to address that issue in the first round of the uh, draft, and if, Matthew Collier, you agree or disagree.
0: I believe that addressing the interior line is very important, but my surprise was more that this was day two in a row of the defense being addressed, and I've come to the conclusion that the mock drafters have all thought to themselves if Zim was going to allow Rick to sign Kirk Cousins and get his very expensive quarterback, the damn it, Zim said, you've got to get me a free agent defensive lineman, and damn it, Rick, you also have to get me a, another defensive lineman in the draft. So actually the surprise was more that I think we are learning that Mike probably has gone to Rick and said, well, if you're going to sign Kirk Cousins for that much, then I'm getting my guys to... That's two consecutive days in which that's been the it case. It was a deal, a quid pro quo. Do you Call have um,
2: Do you have the name of the edge rusher? I'd have to pull
0: it up here again. Okay. Well, the I'm entire just, mock draft. Was I'm just odd, curious by the because way. there
2: are a couple of guys who are sort of edge slash three technique, where they may have played in, inside. This and definitely outside. said
0: edge rusher, as I recall. Okay. Yes. Okay. edge so.
1: was the label, and it is Harold Landry out of BC.
2: All right, I mean that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, as much as Mike Zimmer wants to improve the rotation that they have or at this moment do not have on the defensive line, to spend a first-round pick at a position where you have Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin would be really surprising. Now, at the three-technique position, I could totally see because Richardson is a one-year player. He's a rental guy, and then they're going to move on from him. So if, if Deron Payne or Maurice Hurst ends up there, they could definitely pick one of those guys. An outside rusher? That would
1: really surprise me. The the, the reasoning behind it, uh, at least in the piece here, is that it's really looking ahead towards next year, uh, 2019, when you'll have Hunter, Kendricks, Robison, uh, if he's still around, and Anthony Barr, all his free agents.
0: Give Collin the top five picks, though. The top five of McIntyre's mock draft,er I thought, were very odd. He
1: went Josh Allen, one to Cleveland. Mm. Saquon no. Barkley, two to the Giants. No. Sam Darnold, Jets, Bradley Chubb, Cleveland, Josh Rosen, Denver.
2: I'm not sure. I agree with any of that. I know, and, and is, I, I don't know. I don't agree know or disagree with a mock draft? Is, yeah, but Bar- I mean, Barkley, you never know.
0: Saquon Barkley, to the Giants, who desperately need to get a young quarterback in there. That makes no sense to hire Shermer as your coach and then say you're stuck with Eli for two more years. I
2: also think that Sam Darnold, especially after his great pro day yesterday, is going number one. I would be really yeah. surprised if he doesn't. He is not my number one quarterback. I think Josh Rosen should be the number one quarterback, but uh, Darnold has been a tremendous prospect over the last two years and did everything that Rosen he needed thinks to for himself do.
0: far too much. We
2: can't have a guy yeah. that thinks we yeah. can't have a, thinking we don't need quarterback. a smart guy. I saw a comparison of Josh Rosen to Eli Manning on the internet, and watching those two play, there's a lot similar there. And it wouldn't surprise me if the New York Giants decided to draft him number two. And as much as I like Saquon Barkley, running backs at the top of the draft like this, I still think that that would be a surprise if someone went running back that high. And if you're Cleveland, do you really think that? Tyrod Taylor, well, I guess at the fourth pick, they're going to pick somebody else. Do you think that Josh Allen is really the guy? Uh, Somebody who completed 56% of his passes in college, his tape is really rough, who looks like he needs a while? Like, how long are you going to have Tyrod Taylor as your quarterback that you're going to give Josh Allen to develop? So that would surprise me. I think that they're going to go Darnold.
1: NCAA tournament resuming today. Sweet 16 action. Lazy, cruel, and exploitative—the cheapest way to convey drama. Those are some of the words and phrases that have been used on people in the internets and social media, and otherwise, to describe the CBS, TBS, <laughs> TNT, True TV coverage so far of the tournament. Yeah. Specifically, them focusing on crying children at the end of games when they see their favorite team's season come to an end. CBS executive producer Harold Bryant, however, responded, basically giving a giant middle finger to all those people, criticizing, saying, it's all part of the drama, storytelling of the tournament, part of the emotion. We try to capture the moment, try to have the right balance. We show happy kids, sad kids, happy adults, sad adults, happy players, sad players. So bleep, you guys, we're doing just fine over here. My question to you is simple. Do you like crying kids on your television? Do you like crying adults? Do you like crying players? Do you like to see the agony of defeat when you're watching the NCAA tournament or otherwise?
2: Here's what I love. College football, when the frat boys in the stands are shown in shock. When, when they show, it's a, the internet has called them surrender cobras. When you put both hands up over your head, on your head, with mouth oh, yeah. agape. Yeah. The surrender cobra. Cobra. I've never heard in, that. That's in, good. Total shock, this bro. I mean, and every weekend through college football season, the internet captures these and posts them, and they're always hilarious. So I say make sure that you have your cameras on the crowd because you never know what can happen. There was one girl who was shown a few years ago, I think it was in the NCAA tournament, um, very clearly swearing at the other team Mm -hmm. aggressively that became kind of a meme that got sent around, and I love that stuff. I love when that happens. So please keep showing the crowd. I don't
0: care if there's some crying kids. Maybe it's a little cliche, but great things happen when you show the crowd. And for the most part, I absolutely don't care. And this is a viewer problem. Ladies and gentlemen, if this is a day full of basketball games, it is an incumbent on you to be turning the channel as soon as a game ends. If you are watching like after a game when they show, you know, player A is collapsed to the court and and he is head in hands and then they show tuba player crying, right? <laughs> and then and then they show cheerleaders celebrating or crying. If you're still watching that crap, that's a you problem. You've got let's go through it. First round, second round, right? You got TNT, you got CBS, you got TNT, you got TBS. True TV. True TV. So if you're sticking around to watch that garbage, that's a you problem. Get on to something else. We got God invented cable and satellite to give us options to turn that nonsense off. So if you're upset by it, turn it. Turn it as quick as possible. Why are you still watching it? And if they show it at the end, a fan crying in the stands, I don't give a damn. So they... They pay all this money to show that nonsense. It's your fault for watching it. If you are if you are allowing yourself to get upset by it, it means you're continuing to watch it. Turn it. I've got the great thing on, on my last channel button now, where if I'm watching NCAA games and I go to one, the last channel then gives me every channel that games are on, the status of that game, and I can just go next game. Bang. So the crap is gone. That's awesome
1: for you. Congratulations!
0: I'm just saying, if if you're watching that stuff and and offended by it, or like they shouldn't be exploiting these people, number one, who cares about that? And number two, if you don't like it, you can turn it very quickly. Turn aside. Go to a hockey game. Go to something else. All right, fine. Well, this is your chance then to uh,
1: make your own broadcast, Judd, if you want to turn it and find whatever else.
0: I'd love to be director of broadcast.
1: Right now, you look up at your TV. There it is, the dream team of Sunday Night Baseball. Matt Veskirjian, Alex Rodriguez, Jessica Mendoza calling Twins Yankees spring ball right now, putting them together, seeing how it sounds. So, since they've put together their Quote unquote dream team, I guess. Uh, their latest dream team to call, call Sunday night baseball games. I'm going to give you guys a chance to put together your own sports broadcast dream team. Any sport, you can bring guys over from different networks. I know what you want. I. Don't want anything. I know what you want. I simply want your opinions. I want you to put together whoever you want as a play-by-play guy, an analyst or two. If you really like a sideline reporter, you can bring them in too. What's the sport? What level of the sport? I don't care. Just put together your dream matchup. Your your dream pairings.
2: I really struggle with this because I don't really care that much about who's calling the game. Really? No, I really don't. I do. do. If it really bothers me, I'll just turn it down so I can just kind of barely hear it. Uh, But otherwise, most of them are pretty much the same to me. I, I I don't have the strongest opinion. So I guess if you gave me a dream team to call, I don't know, maybe football, it'd be like, how about Randy Moss... And, you know, just, and someone else that I think is super awesome, like as a football player and really unique voice, Favre, <laughs> let's just,
0: let, well, let's
2: just have Favre and just talk Randy the whole Moss time. just talk about football the be whole good time, stories. and it would be pretty great for one game, but not for a whole season, then it would get pretty old.
0: I care a lot about this question. This question is very important I to know, me. I know, I know you do. Uh, for hockey, it's very easy. And these guys, if they worked together for a time period, it was very, very short because the rights flipped. And then this guy took a job with, I believe, the St. Louis Blues at the time, Doc Emmerich, and John Davidson. John oh. Davidson was fantastic. He he was, once again, a guy that you learn from. There's far too many hockey guys that I don't learn a damn thing from. Davidson was really good. So th- that would be my dream team nationally on hockey. Uh, locally, how about this idea? Fox Sports North Twins telecast. This is this is pie in the sky. Oh, I of do course. love Roy Smalley. I do too. But how about this? Something like Smalley. First of all, let's get past the fact that that you have to have a play by play guy, because for baseball, you sit down and like you're paying attention to the game. You don't need to be told it's a ground ball to shortstop. How about something like Smalley and TK? Now, TK Tom Kelly, as far as being a vibrant TV personality, is not that, but this man picks up on everything. You'd watch a game. I remember there was one time he was doing a game from Chicago against the White Sox. And the, there was the uh, sacrifice fly. And he noticed the footwork of the center field or something just minuscule that you would never see. And he actually got mad about it because he's like, that's just inexcusable. And I'm like, number one, holy cow, that's fantastic. And number two, I would have never, ever thought in my wildest dreams to look for that. So, but how about like Smalley, who really knows baseball? Yeah. And then you know what? If you want to say ball one, ball two, ground ball to second, that's fine. I don't care. But basically that person could do the in game reads and stuff and the promos, that nonsense. And then with TK and they could just talk baseball the whole time.
2: Okay, I think I've got it. I think I've what I want. I think I want Vern Lundquist with Johnny Weir and Terry Lipinski calling football. Because <laughs> I love Vern I do. Lundquist S E C. And I think that Johnny and Tara can call anything and make it great. They are so entertaining, smart, funny, fun. They get it completely. They're the best broadcasters I've ever seen for for that role. No, they're good. Yeah, I'm not. And I want to see how they do with other sports because I think they do just fine. It'd be fun. I think it would really be fun. And they could break down the uniform choices of Georgia and Alabama. Yeah. And then Vern Lundquist
1: could just hold it down. What if you kept them in their home environment and moved Vern to figure skating?
2: I, I don't know. Who, I don't even know who does the play by play for the figure skate. There's Carey, another guy. Terry Gannon. Gannon? yeah. Okay, so he does find it like getting the hell out of the way. He does fine,
1: but I think I could use a few Verngasms on, you know, somebody yes. hits a triple axle. Whoa! Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Whoa. How yeah. about
0: Gus Johnson then?
2: Nah,
1: that's too
0: much. I have
2: never been a big Gus Johnson guy. Like, it, he had that one or two well, he great calls in the tournament yes. and then kind of showed himself a little bit when they moved him to some other stuff as being just kind of okay. Well,
0: well they foolishly tried to move him to be their main soccer, soccer voice, guy, which was, was just mess. an incredibly dumb decision. I saw him. So I went to the Iowa-Iowa State game in Ames two years ago now or three years back, and the game was on Fox. And Gus, and who is the the analyst for Fox? Is it something Clat is their football guy? I forget his name. I saw them in the uh, Buffalo Wild Wings post game. They didn't sit together, and they never talked the entire time friction wow. you could tell oh it was glo- it was glorious complete friction so i'll take uh johnny and tara that's good Not, enough any, like that. any sport anytime anywhere let's take a break come back from the tcl broadcast studios for the remainder of the show mackie and judd is no longer Zolged and watson but it's Zolgad and collar phil back tomorrow
1: mackie and judd are back i've been waiting for this for a long time on 1500 espn
0: Spring Training Baseball, uh, Twins and Fort Myers against the Yankees today. Phil Hughes pitching for the Twins, bottom of the first no score in that game. Collar, you brought this up, um, and it is becoming, I don't know if curious is the right word yet, but intriguing to a certain extent. The case of Teddy Bridgewater. Now, uh, Pro Football Talk had an item that they either posted late last night or early this morning that makes it very clear that he has only $500,000 guaranteed on his contract with the Jets now. Uh, he was he did a conference call with New York reporters a couple days ago in which they asked him about his plans for spring workouts. Bridgewater declined to answer. Quote, that's something I'm not comfortable talking about right now. I'm pretty sure that'll be a discussion that I have with the training staff. We'll come up with a plan moving forward mm. um this goes back to what we've talked about for quite a while now which is there are very few people there are some doctors there's probably the Vikings the jets to a certain degree although probably not fully knowing where this guy is at and his recovery are you starting to get the the feeling that I am though that this whole thing of him playing again might be a hail Mary I I just I' there's too much weird stuff now it feels like something more is going on. And, hey, if he's done, I'm not shocked. But I'm leaning more towards that now than I was probably a month ago.
2: So I was feeling by the end of the regular season pretty good about where Teddy Bridgewater stood, especially since I got the sense after the Carolina game that some of the players for the Vikings wanted to go back to Teddy Bridgewater after a pretty poor performance by Case Keenum, and that was something that was sort of rumbling around is the only way that I could put it, that some players maybe thought... Uh, maybe this is the end of the run for Case Keenum and we might have to go back to Teddy. And there was certainly conversation about potentially Bridgewater being named the starter when he was able to come back uh, because Everson Griffin told us that they got together and had a meeting about it and and said, no, we're going to stick with Case Keenum right here. So it was certainly in the conversation to have him return. And that made me feel very much like, hey, maybe... He's good in in practice, and and he's all set to go. But now thinking about it, the way Mike Zimmer talked about Bridgewater at the end of the season, we couldn't figure out whether he was saying goodbye to Teddy or whether he was saying that they believe in him more than anything. And with that comment on the conference call and the contract that he got, it certainly makes you think that Zimmer was saying goodbye, especially when Zimmer had said hey, look, only a handful of people have ever come back from this. And the fact that he even got out on the field was amazing. That makes me think now, it, in retrospect, maybe that was him saying, guys, he's not going to be Teddy Bridgewater again. Right. And, and yes. we'll see if anybody is going to overcome something like this. It's Teddy Bridgewater. But at the same time, you know, we've seen other guys who had lesser injuries whose career was over. Dante Culpepper is definitely one of them. Uh, And this was one where he nearly lost his legs. So I think it's a very realistic possibility that he might never play for the Jets. And if you remember, Marcus Lattimore, who had the same thing, he tried to play for the San Francisco 49ers. He went to camp with them or or their offseason workouts, and his knee just didn't respond, and he had to retire.
0: And the Jets are in a pretty good situation here because they they certainly didn't spend uh, that much on Teddy. So let's say they draft a quarterback. They're at three now, correct? Because they made the trade with the Colts. So they are they could draft a quarterback at three. They've got uh, McCowan now as their starter. So if Teddy, if Teddy comes to camp and he can clearly play and be a backup, that's great. And if he can't, he's gone. That's fine, too. But you're right. I was always—and the thing with the Vikings is I think the Vikings like Teddy a lot. And I think when it comes to Zim, we note that he loves him. So— the most interesting thing about the entire situation throughout the year was trying to read this. And when Teddy was made the backup, it pretty much appeared okay, he might, he's probably not in a position to start again yet, but he certainly, if they're going to make him the backup to Case Keenum, he's certainly in a position to play. And then he came in that Bengals game and it didn't go well, but it was very brief and then i but the one thing that was odd that i thought was just because bradford was more familiar with the offense mm-hmm. was when they made bradford the backup quarterback for the two playoff games and i was thinking to myself either either they've come to a conclusion about teddy here or they just think you know sam was great in that first game against the saints and now that sam can play again because he knows Shermer's offense, he's just m- more suited to go in if that becomes the case. But now I'm going back towards, nah, you know what? I think they'd probably seen something, and they'd probably seen enough to know that there was a very good chance that asking this guy to play anytime in the coming months might be too much.
2: Well, that's what's peculiar about it, because Zimmer did say over and over, hey, he was our backup, so he was one injury away from going in there and being our quarterback, and they didn't make... Kyle Sloter, the backup, and it wasn't just a one-game thing when he was able to return. He was the backup for the whole rest of the regular season. But it does tell us something that Sam Bradford, who's had more knee injuries than Teddy Bridgewater, gets $15 million guaranteed in a starting spot. So must be Arizona looked at that and said, you know what? I think he'll hold up for a year with these knees. Because, I mean, that's a lot of money to throw at Bradford, he can make up to $20 million, which is like being paid as a, an average starting NFL quarterback. And he
0: has a degenerative knee. Yeah, Right. The yeah. head coach is on the record. Zim is on the record as saying that. So with Bridgewater, if
2: he had a good-looking medical when he came out into the free agent market, I think that he would have been receiving a much better contract. And the other thing that's peculiar, not just his comments there and talking about a plan that they're going to have to work out, I mean, that doesn't sound very good for him winning the job. A plan moving forward, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, McCown is healthy and they're probably going to draft Baker Mayfield or somebody toward the top. Uh, The other part of it is just um, with Bridgewater that he hasn't said anything other than to post an eight second video saying, Hey, Jets Nation, glad to be with you. But, you know, yesterday, Jarius Wright signed with the Panthers and two days later put out a really nice thank you note. To, used to thank the front office, the coaching staff, everybody else. It was a really nice note from Jarius Wright. And most players do that in some way when a place had drafted them and then they leave in free agency. They'll throw out something like, Hey, Minnesota, I'm going to miss you, and whatever else, something like that. And with Bridgewater, he's always been a guy that's active on social media. So he, it's not like he just doesn't have an account or something, but he remember he was posting videos of himself throwing a ball and things like that when he was coming back. For him to go completely silent after leaving Minnesota, and what does that say? I mean, does that say that he knows it could be over here? Is he really bitter and angry at the Vikings organization for kind of leaving him out in the dust? Or, I mean, what exactly is going on with the way that this bridgewater thing has been handled especially even when his signing he signed or the reports that he signed and then there was this long break of hearing nothing and then finally they announced the signing and then it comes out that it's barely even a contract it's just been a bit of an odd situation
0: here's more from uh from the conference call that he did um after signing with the jets bridgewater said i'm confident in myself I'm confident in the athletic training staff and the coaching staff here that they can eventually get me back to the player that I once was. But we're only in March. The only way to get better is to put the work in now. I I just can't wait. I'm excited. The use of the word, I'm confident in the athletic training staff and the coaching staff here that they can eventually get me back to the play. And I know that this is a long process, and I know that the injury he suffered was catastrophic. It was not just a torn ACL, but keeping all of that in mind, we're how far now removed from the injury? A year and a half, and and he still yeah. and he still has to talk about. Eventually, I'm not shocked by that, but this all goes back to the conversation that we had shortly after he was hurt, which is, as you said, this can end your career easily. This is not and. The Zimmer thing was interesting because at the end of the season, you did not know what he was getting at when he said half the guys don't come back, right? Yeah. That was the statistic he gave. And you couldn't figure out, is he saying, I I see this guy coming back, or is he basically, or is this Zimmer accepting the fact that half the guys don't come back and Teddy needs to be put in the half that don't come back? I
2: I think that maybe our initial read wasn't right of that situation. I would agree. We were reading that as, oh man, Case Keenum is gonzo, right? Because he said... Well, I said Teddy's the guy. Right, because he said nothing nice about Case at all, and then gushed about Teddy Bridgewater. But now, looking it back through this lens at the Super Bowl... Uh, Mark Wilf, when he was asked about it, Teddy Bridgewater is a great person, and we loved him and all these things. I mean, it really was all of these people saying, we appreciate you, but you're not going to be back. And maybe it was because they do think uh, Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback, but I think probably it's because they don't believe that that knee is coming back to what it once was. And him saying, eventually, get back to the player I was. Like, wait a minute. I mean, you were the backup for all of last year, and you don't believe that you're ready to come back and and show that you were that player? So, geez, I I think that that's uh, a lot of signs that Teddy Bridgewater
0: might be done. So on the Wednesday show, we broke down the Wolves' upcoming schedule, which has 10 games left, and basically talked about uh, how simple that schedule was. The Wild has nine games left, and let's just say the schedule is far tougher. We could talk about that next. Mackie and Judd, Matthew Collar, and four Phil TCL Broadcast Studios.
1: Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. It'd be nice to see these two come together and uh, try to work something out here. Mackey and Judd. I mean, all we're getting is yelling from both, and it's the yelling and shouting doesn't accomplish anything. On 1500 ESPN.
0: Mackey and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Matthew Collar and for Phil today. uh, Phil back tomorrow. So yesterday we were talking uh, the Wolves, Matthew, in the first hour of the show and went through their last 10 games. Which are, uh, I think involve something like two teams currently in the play in playoff spots. They involve a handful of games against teams that have been el- eliminated, which will they'll try and actively lose to the wolves. Uh, basically, it assures the wolves of a above 500 record. Right now they're assured if they lost their last 10, they go 41 and 41. They would have to work very hard to do that. Uh, the wild on the other hand, which is in a playoff spot, third place in the central division, sir, Has nine games left, starting on Saturday. Let me go through this slate of games for you. Saturday, you play host to Nashville. Sunday, you turn around to play host to the Boston Bruins. Tuesday, you go to Nashville. March 29th, next week, I think it's Thursday, you play host to Dallas. Two days after that, you go to Dallas. April 2nd, uh, you get the Oilers, which have a great player in McDavid, but are firmly out of the playoff race. And then you go to the West Coast and end at Anaheim at the Kings, who just beat you in OT here a couple days ago, at San Jose. I think the Wild is a playoff team. I think they're going to make it. I think these last nine games, though, are going to be very, very difficult. And Nashville twice is going to be very interesting to me. All right. I I just apologize
2: for this. But I forget who plays who anymore because it's not the one versus eight. It
0: is. I'll, I'll go quickly. It's one it's 1 8 eight wildcard. It's 1 Pacific then because Nashville's Nashville's going to be the best team in, in the Western Conference. Right. So they'll play the 8. Right. The winner of the Pacific Division, which will be Vegas, yeah, will play 7. Okay. And then you get 2 3 2 3. Two, two, three. three. So it okay. would be Minnesota Winnipeg. <sighs>
2: Minnesota Winnipeg is
0: oh, pretty that's tough. Not a favorable matchup. Would match you
2: up. Would you prefer that Colorado ends up with a better record than you to set up A different matchup? I mean, would you rather face Vegas? I think I would. I'd
0: love to face Vegas. I I think Vegas is as ripe for a first-round exit as you could possibly get.
2: I totally agree. So, yes.
0: So, if you're saying, would I like to actually go through these last nine games and sort of fall flat, stay in the playoff race, but get Vegas? Yes. Yeah, I think that this could actually
2: benefit them. I'm not saying that they should try to lose on purpose, but I think that Winnipeg is every bit as dangerous as Nashville in a playoff series. Nashville's got the more proven goaltender in Pekka Rene than Connor Hellebuck for the Jets. But, I mean, if you're talking about giving me Vegas versus giving me me Winnipeg or Nashville, uh, I'm definitely taking Vegas. And part of it is that Marc-Andre Fleury for Vegas has been unbelievable in a very short stretch when he's been healthy. That's helped them get to where they are in like a third of a season, basically. And I don't think he's going to keep doing that. And he's a guy that always has problems come playoff time. And they're really like the Minnesota Wild in that they do not have a super-duper number one player, that they kind of have a lot of good players. I mean, maybe William Carlson's better than we thought and Howell is better than we thought. There's some truth to that. But none of these guys are an Anze Kopitar, Sidney Crosby I would put even Philip Forsberg, PK Subban in that caliber of your elite, elite players. And that would be a, a pretty good matchup, I, I think, for the Wild. They, I think they would have a, a chance, and I might even pick them so in a series so against Vegas.
0: You're basically saying in these last nine games, if you scuffled and dropped in, in the standings, it might benefit you if you could finish seven. Because yeah. two, two, seven. I just I think Vegas has been such a good story, and they're a nice team, but they're really not this good. Mm hmm. And this is, this is the type of team, I believe that the Predators are phenomenal. I really do. But we have seen certainly plenty, unlike basketball, this is a sport where we have seen plenty of lower seeds succeed. And I think after a regular season like Vegas has had, that they are in an absolute position where if you're the wild and you catch them, you got a good chance to bounce them.
2: I mean, right now, Marc-Andre Fleury has a 930 save percentage. Actually, he's played more of the season than I thought he has, 41 games. So he's played half the year and a 930 save percentage. Does that really keep up? Or is that just oh, like. he's had problems in playoffs before. A lots of problems in playoffs before. In fact, you wonder how many cups Sidney Crosby would have if Marc Andre Fleury hadn't melted down for like four seasons in a row. Mm-hmm. If he could have won even more because he was at his peak, he's not even as good as he used to be. And that's when Fleury completely botched playoff series. So I don't trust him. I also look at their team, and there's a lot of guys with inflated shooting percentages. That I you do have to wonder if teams go into Vegas wanting to enjoy themselves oh, for a night de- in no, Vegas. I they mean, definitely I, think do. That, no. I think
0: that that's probably a real thing. They definitely do. In fact, it was um, I think uh Wischinski, right? Yeah, uh, yes. He he did a he did a huge story on, on that for ESPN.com. And I was gonna say, I believe it was Torts who took Columbus in actually two days beforehand and just said, okay, boys, go to it thinking that they would party the first night and then take it easy on night two. They got beat. Uh, Randy Carlisle, I want to say on the Ducks' last trip there, Randy Carlisle finally said, we're not going in until day of game. It's Mm -hmm. so close that we're going to. They played somewhere. I think he flew them back to Anaheim. They practiced at home. And then the day of the game, and you are subject to it. If you if something gets screwed up, you're subject to a massive fine for that. Oh really? But Carlisle said we're going in day of game, and I think it worked. So oh, yeah, there is wow. there is no question in my mind. And the wild has beaten Vegas all three times. But yes, the the Vegas flu is very real. I'm curious. I'm pulling up it's right now. It's a very real thing. I'm pulling up right now just to see. But if when... you but if you're playing in a playoff series against them, you would go, you would stay on the outskirts probably. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do anything for you fun. You yeah. would practice, and therefore therefore, the Vegas flew, unless you had a guy who was a complete drunk, would be eliminated.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, I think it mostly, mostly would. I'm, I'm trying to pull up their numbers to see where they stand in, in some different categories when they go on the road, because it looks to me like when they're on the road, they're just an okay team. Like They're basically 50-50 split for goals at even strength, 50-50 split for shots on the road, and at home, they're completely dominating those categories. So I think you probably have much more of an average team there than you do, although the one issue that the Wild have is they're also not very good on the road. This year, they've been uh, the best or second-best team right with Vegas in terms of how well teams play At home, they're 24, 6
0: and and 7 at the X. They're 17, 18 and 1 away from the X. Yeah,
2: and the Wild have really poor numbers in all categories, even worse on the road than Vegas. But I just wonder about the construction of the Vegas roster, not having the dominant type of player that has often spurned them, or even just a a real defensive mindset. Like they don't really have that. They play the up tempo very much like the Wild do. Last year, what we saw from the Blues was not only lucky and great goaltending, but we also saw them take the air out of the ball, basically. Yes. Petrangelo, Bomeister. They did a great job of that. These big guys who just clogged up the middle. And
0: the Jets, yeah. And the Jets would the Jets would beat you up.
2: Right. Same yeah. thing, yep, right? Yep, yep. And if, you, so it, and, and if you try to play run and gun with Nashville, they've got the best defensemen in the league. And I, a couple of them, three or four of the best defensemen in the league, I think you're in trouble there. But with Vegas, they don't have... Some megastar defensemen like P.K. Subban, who can just completely control the game, or Drew Doughty. I would like that matchup better than facing, or Winnipeg
0: has a couple of good defensemen, too. Let's uh, take a break, come back, wrap things up. Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd now continue. You're listening to The Rec. Yeah. <laughs> That's a perfect name for us. We could just switch it right now. On
1: 1500 ESPN. Kick off your running season with 1500 ESPN at Twin Cities in Motions Hot Dash 5K and 10 Mile. Race is coming up this Saturday. Join 1500 ESPN beginning at 7.30 a.m. Saturday for the race festival at Boom Island Park, which features a top 10 U.S. post-race beer garden live DJ photo booth, Activities for all ages, plus the hot dish and the beer from Summit Brewing Company. Details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword, events. Did you say Summit Brewing? I did. I've said that for like three months. You just picked up on that? Oh, no. I just always, my ears always perk up when I hear Summit. We've been pumping this thing up. Yeah, I yeah, know. sounds good. The beer good. from Summit plus the hot dish. Oh, yum. I don't know what a top 10 U.S. post-race beer garden exactly means. I'll check it out.
0: I'm certainly willing to Find out? Yes, exactly. What was the uh, uh, breaking news that you saw when it came to uh, flurry in the Golden Knights, David? Uh, well, he took a, a puck, a shot to the mask last night, um, first period, and I believe he
1: finished the period but did not come back after the intermission. And uh, the word out of Vegas is they're not saying concussion. Hmm. They're only saying that he's out and he's not traveling with the team right now, and they've called up a another goaltender to uh, fill the spot. So that could
2: make them even better of a matchup if he is out. I mean, because he has been really good this year. I wouldn't trust him in a playoff series, but him coming back from an injury. So you would need to finish,
0: to get them, you'd need to finish 7th. You'd, you'd have to make sure you didn't drop to 8th, but if you finish 7th, you'd get them. And he's the guy with a history of some concussions. Mm-hmm. I think I read three
1: diagnosed, All and right. who knows how many more went, went undiagnosed. And, and Winnipeg
2: is just the most complete team.
1: Their goalie, I don't know if he's going to hold
2: up in the playoffs or not because this is really his first really good year for Connor Hellebuck, Mm -hmm. but they have a complete team with skill up and down. They've got some nasty players too. Dustin is not a guy you'd really want to go against in a seven-game series. So they've built this team up for a number of years, and they have – One of the elite players in the NHL, well, two of them really, but one of the elite two way centers that doesn't get the credit, which is Mark Shifley, Mm -hmm. that if he played somewhere that was getting more attention, like Boston, he'd be on video game covers. I mean, he is an incredibly good player. And then Patrick Line who is a 19-year-old freak show, basically like the reincarnation of Alex Ovechkin, those are not guys I necessarily want to play for seven games.
1: Not to be too mean to the local club, but you said you're not sure if the <laughs> goaltender would hold up. <laughs> I knew where you're going. Trust me, against the Wild, he'll hold up just fine.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to say. I'm not sure if the Wild goaltender will hold up in the playoffs either. No, well, I mean, Louis, they, that would to be a way, concern.
1: But I've seen enough goaltenders hey, that we say, "Hey, the Wild could take advantage in the playoffs and they get three goals in five games."
0: When I brought up the Kings' loss and and the loss of Spurgeon and how much I think that they need Jared Spurgeon back, yeah, it was no mistake that Louis brought up the goaltending of Jonathan Quick. Oh yeah,
1: you did. Well, Jake Allen was supposed to be the weak link for St. Louis last year, and uh, what?
0: Goaltending, Pitch two shutouts, three shutouts. Goaltending in playoffs, man. Yeah, well, well, and what the Blues did so well, and Allen played great, but what the Blues did so well was they couldn't get near him. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. You but, can help no, out
1: the goaltender, and, but
0: didn't you take what Louis said to also mean watch out for your own goaltending? I I thought I reading between the lines of what Louis told us. I think what he was saying is. Dubnik's got to w- win you a series eventually here, too. Yeah,
1: I, I guess I didn't think of it. At I that, took it that, that way. At that time, but as you mentioned it, yeah, I suppose that certainly could have meant that.
2: And over the last four years, Dubnik has been one of the best goaltenders in the NHL for his save percentage. And I feel like eventually that, that will even out in a playoff series. When you look at Jonathan Quick, he's known as the playoff
0: goalie, right? Mm-hmm. His first two playoffs were just horrible and he plays that and quick plays that style we saw it a couple nights ago where he plays so low and he's always down and you're like just go high
2: oh yeah and they tried
0: and parisi actually did beat him high but you're thinking to yourself just go high and it's really simple to say and guess what he stops a lot of times his uh his first year especially his first playoff series
2: jonathan quick had an 884 save percentage in in his second one, it was nine thirteen, which is still just okay. And then the next two, nine forty-six and nine thirty-four, and those were where he uh won the Stanley Cup in one of them and then went deep in another one. And so with these great goalies, I mean, if you're one of the best in the league regularly, like Quick was, I think you've always got a chance to get hot in the playoffs.
0: I think the thing about Dubnik that drives the people that watch the wild a lot crazy is this. There always seems to be the one or two just totally fluky random goals. And yeah. what? And watch where this is not an accident. Watch where teams shoot on him from far, odd angles and stuff. yeah. Odd angles, far the far boards. They'll they'll they they. He is so susceptible to allowing that goal that is an absolute um, pin in the balloon. Mm-hmm. It's like he makes all these saves, and you're like, oh man, this is this is going great. And then, like you just said. Odd angle shot, beats him high glove side, and it's like, bang. And he was very good
2: last year. 925 save percentage in those five games. But... There is. I mean, we are getting to with Flurry. I thought the same thing for a while. Like, ah, maybe it's just small sample or whatever else. And then four or five playoff series, and he's still not winning, and is way below average with Dubnyk. We are getting there. If this, if it happens again, where he loses a series and doesn't play that well, you do have to start wondering if he is a playoff goalie because you're 21 games into his playoff career. And he's got a 9.03 save percentage and has given quality starts on 38%. Most people are about 60%.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's that, interesting. That,
2: that's not really giving your team much of a chance to win those games if they're close. And just last year, he was much better. Um, but this year, he hasn't had a great season, though. It's only been okay. Yeah. From his standard yep. for the last few years, this year has just been kind of okay.
0: Yep. And, but I it, it's. The games I go to, it is amazing to see the amount now the teams attempt to shoot from odd angles on him, knowing that he's susceptible to those goals. And when you, especially in the playoffs, when you give up those goals, it just drains you. Yeah, Like you can just see the team go, what the bleep was that? Um, Line A, very quickly, two nights ago, he blocked a shot. He got hurt. Can we please stop having superstar (laughs) players block shots? Like, he was sort of in a no-man's land, and it hit his skate boot high, and I get all that, and I get that guys are tough. But honest to God, can we please stop having top, upper echelon guys? Can they just get out of the way? I I don't need you to be gritty. I want you to play. Liney's a great player, right? I don't want you to block shots. Like, just bail. He, like, stood there, and he got hit by the damn puck, and it's like, now you're hurt, and that's how you break your ankle, Right. Yeah. I, it's just it's it's a hockey thing it's gotten to be so ingrained in everybody let's block shots let's block sh- and I get it for the defenseman and I understand it's a priority of some teams but if you're an all-star can you get out of the way please yeah exactly like crazy scorer, a few years ago can you please not block a shot especially when against St. You're St Louis locked
2: into a playoff spot
0: oh and they also turn sideways. Which as as they were explaining on a highlight package I was watching is the worst thing you could possibly do. You have no protection sideways because the wrist and stuff, right? Yeah, well, or your skate. It hits your skate. It hits your skate. The boot. The boot protection is on the front, right? It's not on the side, so you have very little protection. You get hit in the side. You get hit in the ankle, and that's how you break your ankle. It's just it drives me nuts. That's just a complaint of mine. Okay. I like guys to be. I like great hockey players to be playing, not to be blocking. Shots. Thank you, Collar. Appreciate it. Uh Mackie back tomorrow. Garage Logic up next from the TCL broadcast studio. See y'all later. This holiday, whether you're making a baker's simple truth turkey for 40 or a Murray's baked brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery, and free pickup. So you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of thirty-five dollars or more. Restrictions may apply.
1: Get more ways to save at the buy five or
0: more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.